Welcome to the Innovation and Compliance Podcast, part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Join us every week as we talk with industry innovators who are making compliance to help business run more efficiently and at the end of the day, more profitably. Here's your host, Tom Fox. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back for another episode, and you are in for a very interesting treat today because I have Jacob Enoch with me. Jacob is a partner at M. Ferran & Co., a law firm in Israel. And he has written a very interesting article that has a lot of implications for both lawyers and the compliance profession around smart contracts. And when it comes to innovation, this, I think, is going to be one of the key innovations going forward. So I asked him if he could take some time from his busy schedule, and he's agreed to do so. So with that incredibly long-winded introduction, Jacob, uh, first of all, thank you for taking the time to visit with me today, and welcome. Thank you very much for this opportunity. Jacob, you have quite a varied and variety of experiences in the legal profession. I was wondering if you might just uh, highlight some of the activities that you've engaged in over the years and what your current role is at your current law firm. Well, I head our M&A department, which uh, so far is uh, pretty conventional, but my practice is quite diverse. I do uh, litigation and international arbitration. I also head our strategy group, and I in the last few years, I'm also focused on blockchain and smart contracts, and I co-head the committee on these subjects at the Israeli Bar Association. And uh, generally, my perspective is rather broad. In the past, I, I also worked as an investment bank and executive vice president of a software company, so it's quite diverse. Jacob, the audience uh, that this podcast goes out to is in-house legal departments, in-house compliance practitioners, private practice, lawyers. So we have a wide variety of both legal profession and other professions uh, who listen to this podcast. So I thought I might start with asking you to explain what is a smart contract? Well, a few definitions, but typically one would address a smart contract as a computer protocol or program intended to uh, facilitate, verify, or enforce the negotiations or performance of a contract. Usually, one places an emphasis on the automatic performance attribute of a smart contract and the fact that it would no longer require a leap of faith or an element of trust when it comes to deal with the performance of such a contract. That should be a material change compared with the way that contracts usually work. You always have this uncertainty regarding the question of the other party performing. Jacob, could you explain the difference in a smart contract and blockchain? Well, these are two very distinct different things. Blockchain is the technology or rather a technology which may be used as a platform for smart contracts. It's very well suited to serve as such due to its control of cryptocurrency and its other attributes such as transparency and immutable nature of its records. The code, for example, is supposed to be open for review. These contribute to the certainty of the automatic execution that is, as I said before, at the heart of the smart contract concept. So blockchain is the technology. Smart contract is what we defined before, a type of contract that should work automatically. But in theory, it can run on a different platform. And blockchain has other uses as well. 
Jacob, you wrote a very interesting article entitled Who's Going to Write Smart Contracts, the Lawyer or the Programmer? And I have to say you had me at the introduction, so I'm just going to read it because I think you hit exactly on the head the situation many lawyers find themselves in, and I would include myself, and I'll just read it. I've come across the tired joke about lawyers not being good at numbers unless it's to do with their fees. My experience is that this joke has substance. And I agree. In general, lawyers see themselves as masters of the written or spoken word and not as people whose job it is to deal with numbers, never mind computer code. And thus, it is customary in the legal profession to classify legal studies as part of humanities as distinct from exact scientists. I wanted to use that, I thought, great opening paragraph to maybe lead into some questions along the lines of, do you think smart contracts are going to change the practice of law? Well, the short answer would be, who knows, because it's really, we're at the beginning of the potentially significant use of this new tool, and we can't really tell how extreme of an impact it would have. But I think that at the very least, this new form of contract will become another acceptable type of contract. And you can think of a world not so long ago where the concept of a shrink wrap contract was new. And then it evolved into a click wrap or click through contract and so forth. I think that it's quite likely that smart contracts would become much more of a commonplace alternative for appropriate transactions. And therefore, in that sense, I think that they are going to change the practice of law as existing legal rules and as well as legal practitioners will have to address the issues that would be involved with the uh, application and, and enforcement and putting in place of such a new agreement. Jacob, I really appreciate your professional, not only your background, but your current practice where you have a wide variety of legal tasks. You articulated some of them, a litigation or at least dispute resolution, M&A practice, corporate practice and other practices. It seems to me that gives you a very wide variety of things to observe and different disciplines within the legal practice to observe. And all of this lead you to believe that lawyers will need to learn coding going forward? Well, I don't know if real hardcore coding, but I think that at the very least, anyone who would have anything to do with smart contracts would have to understand the flow or the way that the program works. Because even if you ignore the potential concept of code is law, which of course, if applied, means that you absolutely have to understand exactly how the code is going to work. But even if you ignore that, the very concept of a smart contract that would work automatically and take certain actions without any further involvement after the code is coded means that someone would have to translate this code into human language because people who would be the parties to such contracts would, I assume most of them, would not be able to read the code. So if, if today lawyers are sometimes attacked for or blamed for speaking in terms and code, so to speak, that is illegible and absolutely foreign to most common people, then if code becomes the language in which you actually draft contracts, this would be more so, right? That most people would not even be able to start reading that contract. When it's written in English, 
people can read it, maybe not understand it, but at least they can read the language of the contract. So assume that you have many smart contracts that actually take a serious place in people's lives. Someone would have to translate these contracts into human language. And the question, which version of such contract would actually prevail, the human language one or the code one, is an interesting question in itself. But a lawyer would probably be the person whose task it would be to provide this translation. Now, how would a lawyer do that if a lawyer can't read code or at least be presented with a flowchart with the algorithm underlining that code, right? So at the very least, I think that lawyers dealing with these types of contracts would have to be proficient enough with the concept of a flowchart and an algorithm so that they can translate that into actual human language. So, Jacob, in your article, I thought you really laid it out in a way that a lawyer could understand because you use that term flowchart and you use that both in the litigation context, which you said requires the orderly and logical construction of an argument that leads to a conclusion. But it also applies in drafting a contract relating to alternative scenarios and establishing provisions to regard with each scenario. That is precisely what a lawyer does. And the flowchart, just that visual, I think will help lawyers understand what their role is in this going forward. In your article, you gave, I thought, a really good example of a smart contract. So I was wondering if you could just walk us through that example. In the article, I think I referred to a copyright type scenario where, for example, if you have, you own the rights, a song or a video or whatever, you can have a smart contract in place controlling the downloads and payment for such uh, downloads with cryptocurrency in a manner that would allow a download, a payment in cryptocurrency to be made automatically upon the completion of a download. This is one of the typical examples of a simple agreement that could easily be translated into a smart contract that would ideally run automatically without immediate complications that some other types of agreements could call for. It doesn't mean that even such relatively simple agreements could not have certain complications that may have to be solved outside of the digital world. And that's part of the reason that I don't think that the legal profession is going to be exterminated, so to speak, by the use of smart contracts. But at least the basic exchange, the basic transaction is very simple. The deliverable is very simple and can be done digitally on the digital platform without involvement of the outside world, which is always a problem when you think about smart contracts. Because in other contexts, you would have to use all sorts of interfaces to the outside, to the real world, right? If you're talking about merely downloading of a song or some sort of another file, and payment in cryptocurrency in consideration for that file, then this is a transaction that can be entirely completed over the net in a digital manner without any need for an interface, if you want to call it, to the outside world. The complications that may arise even in such a contract are another issue, but very small, very well-defined transaction online, 100%, is a good example to a smart contract. 
it seems to me if you start with that example, you could actually use that as a building block or a set of building blocks to then build in either additional transactions or deliverables or actually more sophisticated using that simple model really as the starting point. Would that be fair as well? Absolutely. But the question is, how far can you go and can you really detach this system entirely from the outside world? I think that the answer would probably be no, but you could definitely implement much more complicated transactions online as on blockchain as smart contracts. Obviously, as the contracts become more and more complicated, the code becomes more and more complicated and issues like translating that code into human language for people to understand should be taken into consideration and also weaknesses in the code and you know potential loopholes which as lawyers we talk about loopholes in laws and regulations and contracts here you would talk about logical loopholes in programs in the code allowing for potential behavior that is not the behavior that the programmer intended, right? So that's the more complicated the code becomes, the higher the risk to such issues as well. So there's a trade-off there, but I think that in time you will see more complex smart contracts together with the development of some checks and balances and mechanisms to make sure that such contracts are not abused. Jacob, it strikes me that if the contract was between two parties, something along the lines of business to business, commercial contract between two parties that was not a part of the outside world, this type of arrangement might actually lend itself to not only greater transparency, but greater auditability in the deliverables and then payment for the deliverables as well, because in that case, you may well have a closed system. Yeah, that's the idea. I think that I think that's the ideal that people talk about when they think about smart contracts, because if blockchain is indeed immutable and transparent and everything is verifiable and executionable online on blockchain, then yes, you don't have to rely on trust. There's nothing that one party can do to defraud the other party because no party has control over the blockchain, right? Then you're much closer to that ideal world. And you know, within the legal realm, you've had all sorts of mechanisms that were used to try and eliminate a performance risk and the need to trust your other party to the contract, escrow agents and letters of credit and all sorts of pledges and charges and whatever, all sorts of mechanisms of self-help and others that are intended to reduce these risks. If we talk about the right transaction and the right uh, parties, a smart contract can, can be very effective in doing that. But I think that the universe of transactions for which a smart contract can become the ultimate solution for these problems is not vast because most transactions are a little more complicated, would require interfaces to the real world because I don't know, if you deliver any car, any form of real goods, for example, and payment is contingent upon delivery of such goods, you would have to have some sort of an interface to the real world to confirm the fact that delivery was made, right? You won't be able to know that oranges, computers, or books were actually delivered to where they were supposed to be delivered. If you're talking about 
digital files or actions that are done online that would be much more readily available to that system. It doesn't mean that within time, maybe such interfaces will be developed and will be able to confirm in a secure manner that certain things have happened without a need for any intervention of uh, parties. But I don't think we're anywhere near that yet. Well, Jacob, unfortunately, we're near the end of our time, but I wanted to ask if listeners wanted to go somewhere for more information, where could they go to? Well, I don't think I, I don't think I want to direct anyone to a specific website or resource. You can find a lot of authorities and writings and thoughts in all sorts of forms online, and each of the listeners is welcome to his or her's own research. I also welcome any email approaches or questions to me. I think you know it's a very broad world of information out there with a lot of authorities and sources. So, Jacob, this has been a fascinating exploration of a topic that we may be at the starting point on in both law and compliance. I've been visiting today with Jacob Enoch, partner at M. Faran and Co. in Israel. Jacob, thank you again for taking the time to visit with me today. Thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity. If you're a compliance professional looking for a convenient and effective way to fulfill your continuing education requirements, go to fcpacompliancereport.com slash courses and choose from four hour-long training packages that will keep you current. That's fcpacompliancereport.com slash courses.